The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to go ahead and open it to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be there in a few minutes. And I want to just remind you, if you have any questions from our message time today, I'd love for you to send that text to us, the number that's on the screen. It's been a few weeks since we've had any questions, so we, um, we would really like to be able to engage with people beyond Sunday morning. Um, so please help us do that. And then we go online to our Facebook uh, page every Tuesday at 11.15 and respond to those questions. Um, so one of the most popular music genres is that of the love song. And chances are each one of us has a favorite love song. When Ann and I got engaged in Tacoa, Georgia, it was at Pizza Hut, so I was on top of that, and the music that I was playing in the background was Aerosmith's Sweet Emotion, which is probably not a love song, um, but that's what was, that's what was playing. Uh, maybe your favorite love song is I Want to Hold Your Hand uh, by the Beatles, or maybe it's uh, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Um, I want to read a few words from a love song from the Bible. And this is not Exodus 20. This is, ex- this is actually Psalm 119. I'm going to read just a few verses from it. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I've recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I've rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Psalm 19 is the longest chapter in the Bible. There are 176 verses. And all but 17 of those 176 verses include words like law and statutes and decrees and commandments and instructions. And while ultimately... The object of this love in Psalm 119 is God. What the author of Psalm 119 is doing is he's writing a love song to God's words. He's writing a love song to God's instructions and his commands and his statutes. Why would anyone write a 176-verse song to the law? Because of what it does. Because of what it offers us. We have to ask the question, what does it do? What does it offer? Well, it gives us freedom. 
It reveals God's heart for his people. It tells us who he is. So we don't have to wonder about who God is. I talk a lot about Acts chapter 17. And here's, here's the John Mulholland version of Acts 17 when Paul is in Athens. He shows up in Athens and he sees all of their gods. And he, he sort of praises them. He says, he says, all of these things that you guys are doing with these idols, I kind of understand it because, because you're, trying to, you're trying to worship God. You're trying to cover all of your bets. And I know this because you even have an idol that says to an unknown God. Right? That's the ultimate hedge your bet. I'm going to worship all of these other things, and since there may be a God that I don't know anything about, I'm going to create this idol, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it's to the unknown God just in case. And what Paul does in Acts 17 is he tells them, well, let me tell you about who, who this God is. He created everything, and he doesn't live in a temple that's made by human hands. And if this sounds familiar, yes, I talked about it yes, we, last week, and yes, that is completely on purpose. He's saying he doesn't live in man-made temples, and, and through one man, he created every single thing that you see. And in the past, what Paul says all of, all of these idols that you worship, in the past, God has overlooked your ignorance. He sees all of this worship that you've done, all of these idols that you've created, all of these false gods, and he's overlooked that because you were ignorant and you didn't know any better. But here's the thing. Now you know who this God is. Now I've shared with you who this God is, who this unknown God is. And there's a day coming where, where every single one of you, this is Paul to the Athenians, and it's really Paul to us, right? There's, there's a day coming where, where, where God is going to, over, he's going to be done overlooking all of your ignorance, and you are going to be judged by this same judge, by the same person, you. I mean you. You, me. We're all going to be judged by this same person, this person of Jesus. And one of the things when we think about judging in 2019, kind of our mindset is we, we've watched enough Law and Order, right, to, to have in our minds this, this courtroom scene, where, where we're going to be brought into the divine courtroom and God is going to be there and there's going to be this, this jury of our peers. This is what we think what that final judgment day is going to look like. Like we're going to be judged by a jury of our peers. Or there will be these great scales and, and we've talked about this before. Like on one side will be all of the bad things that we've done we've done, and then on the other side will be all of the good things that we've done. And if we've done enough good things, like just barely, those scales will be tipped in our favor and we will not face a condemnation by God. But we'll be welcomed in. Or maybe we we think that we can through our argumentation, like we'll be a better lawyer than God as judge. 
And we get all of these ideas because we've, we've watched all of these courtroom dramas on TV and in movies. But that's not what's going to happen. See, God is, God is our faithful judge. He's just, and he knows what our, what our sins are. And he's, he's done overlooking our sin. He's done overlooking our idolatry. And one of the ways that the law gives freedom is it, is it wades through all of this, this pantheon of false gods, all of these different gods, and ultimately he says, these things don't work. I, God, I'm what you're looking for. So you can continue, like, in, in your idolatry, you can continue to worship all of these other things that aren't really God's. But I'm telling you, and I'm giving you freedom when I do this, you don't have to try and figure out what you have to do to please me. And I think that's how a lot of us live our lives, is we're trying to figure out, like, what do we have to do to please God? How do we have to worship in order to please God. And we have, we have his law. And it's telling us how to please God. In, in black and white. Telling us how to please God. And, and one of the things is, it doesn't matter whether or not we accept God's authority. Something I, I want you to really think about. Like, whether or not you accept God as the authority in your life is kind of irrelevant. One of the shows that, that we haven't watched in a while and we've just gotten back into over the last couple weekends is Live PD. Anybody watch Live PD or familiar with Live PD on Friday and Saturday nights? Like, I love Live PD. Think cops, but actually live. So what you're watching when you watch the show is, is live. And my favorite people on live PD are people who call themselves sovereign citizens. A sovereign citizen. Here's what a sovereign citizen is. A sovereign citizen is a person who doesn't think that he or she needs to live by the laws of the United States because they're a sovereign citizen. And here's how it manifests itself. They get themselves pulled over because they've, they've broken a law and they usually don't have a driver's license. They'll have a piece of paper that I think they downloaded off of the internet and what they say is, I wasn't driving, I was traveling. And because I was traveling, you can't stop me from traveling. And what happens in every single case is that person ends up handcuffed in the back of a squad car. Every single time. Because, see, the police officers, like, they don't care whether or not you agree with their role as an authority in in their life. They, they, they just don't care. It doesn't matter to them. And God, God sees the same way. See, God, God is our authority whether we acknowledge him or not. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's what that means. There's, there's going to come a day when, when we are all gone and, we have, and we've moved on to eternity, whether that's eternal life with Jesus or eternal death and eternal separation from God. 
And every person, regardless of your eternal destination, is going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Every one of them. The difference is, for the people that are in eternal separation, that doesn't save them. That's not going to do anything for you. It's just an acknowledgement that God is indeed in charge. And the Lord, the Lord that we're talking about in Exodus chapter 20, he's, he's not a localized, regional God, which is the kind of gods that they worshipped in Bible times. They worshipped regionalized and localized gods. If we had been around in this time of history, we would worship the God of the sugar beet, to be honest with you. And maybe some of us think we wouldn't do that, but that's what we would worship. We would worship the God of the sugar beet. Or maybe we would worship the God of the pinto bean. And then, if for some reason we relocated and we moved to Iowa, we would worship the corn god. Because gods in the, in the early biblical day and age were regionalized, they were localized. But this god, the Lord is the Lord of all. And that's what the first commandment, we talked about this last week, that's what that first commandment was about. You must not have any other God but me. And this is, this is an orientation to make sure that you're worshiping the right God. That's the first commandment. Worship the right God. He's the Lord God of all. Let's read the second commandment together. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So if the first commandment was about loving the right God, the second commandment is really about loving the right God rightly. So the first way to worship the right God rightly is to not make any idols or images that 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 reflect him, that represent him. And there are several, several reasons why we don't do this. We don't, we don't make idols to represent who God is. And the first one is God's, God is free. We don't carry God around in our pockets. And the minute we start to carry God around in our pocket, like, well, like this God, as a for instance, the second I start to carry this God around with me in my pocket, then I can control this God. Right? So if I, have, if I have an image or an item that represents God and I can just put it in my back pocket, then I, I can control it. And it's not up to us. It's not up to us to make the unseen God seen. Here's another reason why we want to make sure we don't make an idol of him, and that's because he's jealous. He's a jealous God. Anything that we could, that we could make... Anything that we could create, anything that we could um, articulate with our hands, no matter how creative or perfectly shaped or balanced, it's not going to completely reflect who 
God is. It can't even come close. And even in the book of Revelation, he's shown to us, he's shown to John in metaphors, metaphors like lightning and a rainbow. This is done because anything we could physically create would not accurately, completely represent him. In the Bible, believing sight comes by sound. When God spoke to Moses, the only form that he had was a burning bush. Paul writes that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. And Jesus himself, when he confronted Thomas, said this, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. We want to make sure we don't create something that reflects God. God provides his own mediators. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we saw these mediators and prophets and priests and kings. And in the New Testament, we find the ultimate mediator. His name is Jesus. We don't want to look beyond that. And lastly, God has made images of himself. That's us. We're going to talk more about this in a little bit. But God has made images of himself. He has made representations of who he is, and that is us. And this is the identity, this is the language of identity that we've talked about last week. From creation to Abraham to the Israelites to new creation through what Paul says we are made in God's image. We are to accurately represent him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's one thing that, that this commandment is not about. This commandment is not about outlawing art. It's not about outlawing art. One of the books that, that I read and have been reading for the series on this particular item really challenged my thinking about idols. It really challenged my thinking about things like this. What do we, what do, we do with things like this? What do we do with this level of creativity? Is it possible that these things could detract us from the worship of God? Maybe your church background was one where you didn't have any pictures in your church, where the wall was painted drably because you didn't want to have anything to take you away from who God was. We had this discussion as a staff over the past couple weeks. Just a few chapters later in Exodus 25, God is going to give Moses detailed instructions about what the tabernacle was to look like. He was going to say, gather up all of the artists, all of the people who are experts at creativity, and make something fantastic out of it. Make clothing for the priests. Build the tabernacle and do it well. See, God's not against beauty. God's not against this stuff. God is not against this stuff. What he is against is using created and man-made things for self-willed worship of God. So if I need this to worship God, if I worship this instead of God, then I'm violating this command. And the implications for this are amazing because there are a lot of things when we 
come to church that we worship that are not God? We worship the way we do church or don't do church. We worship the way music is played or not played. We worship the locations of of the communion tables and the communion trays and all of those things. We've elevated those things. We run the risk of elevating those things to the same status as God's, and they are not. There are a number of ways the Israelites violated this commandment as it relates to self-willed worship. One of those ways is in Exodus 32, 4, and 5. This is the story of the golden calf. Maybe you're familiar with it. Moses is up on the mountain. They don't know where he is. They know he's on the mountain, but they don't know when he's going to come back down. So the people want to worship something, and Aaron says, okay, give me all of your gold. And they melt it down, and they turn it into a golden calf. And this is what Aaron says. These are the gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's important to know that the golden calf wasn't a different God, and it wasn't a God in and of itself. It was who Aaron was identifying as the God. So if this were our God in the example, what Aaron is saying, this is the God that delivered you from Egypt. It's, his name is Yahweh, and this is him. This is what he looks like. And to do something like this, to make an image that represents God, is sinful. Here's another way the Israelites did this. This is in 1 Samuel 4, 1-11. We've talked about this before. The Israelites are, are out fighting the Philistines and they're losing this battle. And they get this really great idea that what they should do is they should go to Shiloh and they should get the ark and they should bring the ark to the battlefield. Because if they bring the ark to the battlefield, then they're going to win the battle, right? Because it, it was their talisman. So if we go grab the ark, we bring it to the battlefield, only God is no one's talisman. And not only do the Israelites lose, but the ark is carried off. Here's the third way. This is Jeremiah 7, 1 to 15. These verses are going to be on the screen for you. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people, O Judah. Listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering. Only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all of these other new gods of yours? And then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to those evils again? 
Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Going out of the place at Shiloh where I once put, my, put the tabernacle that bore my name. See what I did there because of all the wickedness of my people, the Israelites. While you were out doing these wicked things, says the Lord, I spoke to you about it repeatedly, but you would not listen. I called out to you and you refused to answer. So just as I destroyed Shiloh, I will now destroy this temple that bears my name. This temple that you trust in for help, this place that I gave you to you and your ancestors. And I will send you out of my sight into exile, just as I did your relatives, the people of Israel. See, the Israelites here were also using the temple as their lucky charm. They thought just because a building was present, or better yet, because they were present in a building, they thought that they were somehow safe. They thought that they could live however they wanted, that they could oppress whoever they wanted, they could exploit whoever they wanted, they could say and do all sorts of wickedness, but as long as they showed up to temple on Saturday, they were fine. And what God is saying to his people is, it's not how this relationship works. It's not how I operate. I think for us, some questions are important. What are, what are some golden calves in your life? What are some ways that you, you create things, that you make things as a, as a representation of God? And remember, however crafty it is, however perfectly manufactured it is, it is not an accurate reflection of who God is because it cannot be. What do you go and get when you need to feel God's presence? Is there a song you just have to listen to that will give you the emotional connection that you need, that you can't worship God unless you have that thing? How are you trusting in your church attendance, or how are you trusting in your Bible reading plan as your salvation? These are all violations of this commandment. And here's, here's the second thing to keep in mind about worshiping the right God rightly. And that's to remember that God is a jealous God who doesn't accept or tolerate our worship of false gods. And there are so many things that, that fall into this category for us as 21st century Westerners. So the vast majority of us think that we are far too domesticated to worship things made of gold or silver or stone. But there's an interesting reality. According to the BBC, a typical iPhone is estimated to house around 0.034 grams of gold, 0.34 grams of silver, 0.015 grams of palladium and less than one thousandth of a gram of platinum. It also contains less valuable but still significant aluminum and copper. What are the things that we worship that are made of gold and silver and stone? Cars and houses, 
and spouses and degrees and jobs and sports and skills and abilities and the affirmation and approval of other people, our theological understandings, our habits, our hobbies, and our comforts. Every one of these things has the potential to become a God that we worship. Every one of these things has the possibility for us to create an altar and put it on it and worship. But the reality of it is, is God, God is not going to tolerate that because he's, he's either God or he's not. And when confronted by this reality in Scripture, the guy that we call the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had great wealth. And even though he kept the law from a very young age, he withheld the very thing that Jesus was asking him for. And I want to let you know that it wasn't his wealth. It wasn't his wealth that was the problem. It was his heart that was the problem. And what Jesus says is where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So in this instant with this man, with this rich young ruler, the problem wasn't his wealth, the problem was his heart. The wealth just revealed what was going on inside of his heart. So how can, how can we be obedient to this in 2019? Like what, what does this commandment have for us? Well, Kevin DeYoung, the author of the Ten Commandments book that I've been reading, suggests five things. First thing is we want to guard against images of God, real or imagined, by worshiping him as he is revealed in Scripture. We want to guard against images of God, real or imagined, by worshiping, worshiping him as he is revealed in the Bible and Scripture. There are literally millions of resources that we have at our fingertips that will tell us what God is like, that will help us understand who he is. We have books and commentaries and study guides, and every single one of these things in a perfect world is designed to help us contextualize Scripture, to read Scripture and help us know what it means. And here's the issue with that, is it can be so easy to sit down with a book about the Ten Commandments. This can be simpler to sit down with a book about the Ten Commandments and then completely ignore this book. Because someone's done all the hard work for me, right? I don't have to research this for myself. I can sit down and I can, I can read this book. And I think... A danger for us is if we substitute the actual work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit with the latest God's Not Dead movie, we are in a lot of trouble. I think our challenge is to spend time with God's Word beyond the coffee cup phrase. When we don't do this, when we only study for the coffee cup phrase, we reduce Jesus to a genie to an answer person. When we all know, as we've studied Scripture, that Jesus is far more nuanced than anything we can imagine. 
And that's because we've settled for the Jesus of feathered hair and a white smock and a blue sash. And we don't take the time to get to know who he really is. If you want to avoid a counterfeit Jesus, you have to study the real thing. You have to know who Jesus is from Scripture. Here's the second way. Don't contribute to the idolatry of others by creating things that propagate a false reality and understanding of God. Don't make God out to be more than he is. When we talk about the image of God with other people, when we talk about who God is, a question that we have to ask ourselves is, what do we say? When someone asks about God, what are we saying about him? What are we saying about him through our lives? I think a lot of us get stuck in this space where we promote this image of fine. Right? No matter what bad happens in our lives, someone asks how we are and what are we? We're fine. Right? Because we can never say we're not doing good. We would never tell anyone that on a Sunday morning that we're not fine, that we're struggling. And I think... Part of the reason for that is is we're afraid to communicate the messiness of life to people who don't know Jesus because we want people to know who Jesus is, right? So when we say our lives are fine, in the back of our mind, we're hoping that they will somehow pick up on the fact that Jesus just makes everything better. And if my life's not fine and I say I'm a Christian— We're afraid that someone might not want to follow Jesus. Because what we've heard so many times falsely is that Jesus makes everything better. He fixes the problems in our lives. And while he's there with us and he gives us hope, we still have reality of life that we deal with. I've shared this before. Ann and I have a few people in our lives that that we can just be Ann and John too. Right? There's just no, there's no, there's no veneer of, of pastor where I have my entire life together. We have a few people that, that we can just be Anne and John to. And it's really refreshing. And a couple weeks ago when, when Anne and I were in Sioux Falls, after her dad had passed away, we got a text from one of these people. And this is, this is what the text said. Hey, how are you? Don't BS me. See, those are people who care about who we are. Those are people who don't want to hear that we're fine when Ann's dad just died. Because you know what? Because we weren't fine. There was nothing about that situation that was fine. And we needed to have someone ask us that question and be able to say, you know, we're not really fine. This is really hard. We weren't planning on doing this. This has been a really difficult season of life for us. And what I would tell you is if you don't have people in, in your lives that you can not be fine with, as Christians, you need a new set of friends. You need to find people that you can not be fine with. And I've talked to so many people who've walked away from the faith because their image of God was that God makes everything fine. 
And the moment life becomes not fine, they're out. Because I thought Jesus was supposed to make my life fine. And it's not what happens. Here's the third way. We want to worship God as he wants, not according to our preferences. Over the past few months, I've been reading through the Old Testament. And right now, I'm in the middle of 1 Samuel. And in chapter 15, Saul is, is told to, to destroy the Amalekites. And this is like one of those really problematic texts. So, you should read the Old Testament at some point in your life. Saul's told to fight and destroy the Amalekites because they stood against the Israelites after they, after they came through on their way from Egypt. And God was very specific. They were supposed to utterly wipe out everyone. All of the people, all of the animals. Saul's armies attack and they do exactly what they're supposed to do, except they spare the king and they keep the best animals for themselves. Well, the prophet Samuel shows up and Saul brags about how he kept God's commands perfectly. And I love Samuel. He says this, Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. I love I love what Saul does here. He couches his disobedience and faux obedience. See, what he was supposed to do, and again, this is problematic, he's supposed to wipe everybody out. He's supposed to destroy all of their animals, and he doesn't do that. And instead, what he says is he's trying to be more obedient than what God calls him to. If you have kids, this is called passive obedience. You know how you tell your kid to go clean the room and they don't clean the room, instead they empty the dishwasher? And you say, did you clean your room? And they say, no, but I emptied the dishwasher. I didn't tell you to empty the dishwasher. I told you to clean your room, right? There's so many times where we want to be more than obedient. Here is Samuel's response in 15, 22, and 23. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord God sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission. I brought back, brought back King Agag and I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Then my troops, excuse me, but Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord? This is a question for us. What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings or sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. 
we don't want to add or take away anything from worship of who God is. We want to worship God as He wants to be worshipped. And if we take away from that, or if we add to it, even well-intentioned, we are guilty of idolatry. Here's the fourth thing. We want to remedy ignorance by giving people what they need when it comes to God. During the Middle Ages, people couldn't read. So what the church did was they created all of this amazing artwork to tell the story of the gospel. And here's the reality. What the church should have done is it should have taught people how to read. Because those things very quickly over time became idols and icons that were worshipped, that were revered in the place of God. Here's the fifth way. We can look to Christ as the fulfillment of this and every one of our commandments. Jesus showed us what God looked like, not through his physical appearance, but by his actions and his activities by the way he treated other people. And what God looks like, if we are wondering this question, we have this in our minds, what does God look like? He looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and that one I always forget. See, God cares for the outcasts and the marginalized, and that's what God looks like. And the final way is found in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I referred to it a little while ago, but now I'm going to read the text. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in God's image. And we, with the power of the Holy Spirit, are to faithfully image and proclaim him and represent him. Every human being ever created bears God's image. Everyone ever created bears God's image. And when we violate that image in any way, shape, or form, we are guilty of idolatry. We are violating this command. We learn who God is. We learn how to interact with him through Scripture, through the law, through the statutes and through the decrees and through the commands and through the instructions. And while we may not look at the laws of our land as something we would write 176 verse love song about. That's what God's word is for us. It is to be honored and revered. And not because of, not just because of what it is, but because of what it says and what it's calling us to do in our lives. So the first command is about worshiping the right God. The second command is about worshiping the right God rightly. I would encourage you this week and every week during this series to read through Psalm 119. Do what I did. Make marks in your Bible for every time there's a mention of the law. 
and ask yourself, do I love God's law the way the author of this text did? Am I pursuing God in this way? Let's pray. God, ultimately we... We want to be like this psalmist. The object of his love was not the law itself, but was you. The way you manifested, the way you revealed yourself to that author was through the law. So we want to revere you. We want to honor you in the same way. We want to worship the word And that's capital W, meaning Jesus, because of what he tells us and how he calls us to live. Help us to worship you and help us to worship you rightly. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.